Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. and welcome to the 204th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and I've got the OG crew here. Uh, not the true, true OG crew. I mean, that's just Jeff and I, but like, you know, when we really hit our stride, the, the fearsome foursome is back. Uh, we've got Evan Hill at Evan Hill HB. Uh, we've got Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11, and we've got Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. We have no idea what we're going to talk about. You have no idea what we're going to talk about. We will likely talk something about football and about the Seahawks, but you know, we're just here to chill because we haven't seen each other for a while. So we're, we're going to catch up for a little bit. Um, Evan, my, my first question for you, by the way, welcome to the show. Thank um, you. How, did, how's it, how does it feel to be a part of a foursome with me? <laughs> you know, it, it, it feels as uncomfortable as it might um, in other situations, but not not a uh, not quite as exciting as it might in other situations. Um, are you a good sleeper? Since we're talking about inappropriate things, are you a good sleeper? Are you like a sleep through the night guy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, on like a weekday, I try to go to bed at like ten thirty. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, I'm a very light sleeper, though. Um, if attack drops, I wake up. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Nathan, Jeff, give me give me self grades on sleeping. Are you like an A, B, C, D? Like, how 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 good are you, Nathan, at sleeping through the night? Ten of ten. Ten of ten. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's actually my greatest fear is that I will someday lose my ability to sleep. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I fall asleep so easy, so fast. I stay asleep. Um, I just think of you as this big bear that just falls asleep and yeah. waking you up. Yeah. Every night I go and I hibernate and, uh, I wake up and I usually feel, feel pretty good, refreshed and all that. So yeah. Uh, excellent sleeper. My best trait probably. Wow. Jeff, you, Ooh, I can't top that, but. <laughs> I'm pretty good at like falling asleep, especially these days. Like I put on a podcast that takes me right out, but I've never been able to sleep in, if that makes sense. Like I, I, I get up seven, seven thirty on weekends, like never been able to do it other than times I'm really hungover or I was up really late the night before, but pretty but good at like getting the, 
you have to have noise like while you're sleeping like these days i put on like a, an airpod in my right ear and then i it just knocks me right out and you never never lose that airpod like oh every morning i have to figure out where it is <laughs> every single morning i'm like scrambling but i'm sure people do that with our show too but i put on a podcast i can never like get through more than five minutes because i fall asleep right away you know charles riley in our chat one of our best super chat uh, folks, um, we rarely get to a chance to read his, 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 says that Canadians sleep well. And I, I think that's probably true. Yeah. You know, Ooh, can a I lot follow of maple syrup in those veins. Can I follow up with an even more controversial question? Yeah, please. What is the ideal sleeping te temperature indoors? So when, what do you set your thermostat to before you go to bed? Brian? See, it's not a thermostat thing for me, but ideal is definitely like, in the 60s or maybe even a little cooler like definitely cold jeff yeah it's got to be like 65 66 for me mm -hmm. i like sleeping when it's a little cold i like the pillows to be cold i don't know how people sleep when it's like really warm i that's like when i can't mm -hmm. sleep as much as i love the heat i'm in the same boat it's got to be antarctica in my in my bedroom for me to oh sleep so on. you're the reason that the ice caps are melting that's good to know okay anyway. well yeah. yeah i mean part of the reason i asked and it's it's actually like i'm, I'm super happy for you guys that you're all solid sleepers i, I mean I, i'm i'm an easy to sleep kind of guy but i'm up at three in the morning you know most mornings like not for the day but but regularly and, and i always wonder about that with you yeah because like i'll be up at like 7 a.m and i'm three hours ahead of you and you'll be like writing football messages <laughs> at 7 a.m my time i'm like what the fuck is brian what are you doing up yeah yeah i mean I, i'm kind of like you jeff that i've never been a sleeper inner like yeah. i could probably count on one hands one hand i should say the amount of times in my entire life even in college that i've slept past 10 a.m like very 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 rare but i watched where all all knowledge is now found in the world is on tiktok and i found uh someone talking about magnesium as like a key thing to help you sleep have you guys heard about that you probably haven't because you don't have any problems sleeping is there magnesium in melatonin no melatonin's in melatonin is melatonin completely pure like is i it mean i don't think melatonin's an element <laughs> It's not on the periodic table. It's, that's it's a naturally like, occurring substance. Like what's in sure. melatonin is my question. Because Melatonin. I think you're fucking with me. No, I don't think I, I am. I, I think Isn't that just the title of like the No, it's like it's I think that's what it is. It's like a it's an it's a part of what your body oh, produces. No, no, no. No, Mel melatonin is a compound. Uh uh magnesium is a base element. Well, sh yes, of course. Okay. Yes. So, I don't think you should just take magnesium. Like, isn't doesn't magnesium like react explosively with water? So you need <laughs> possibly. You're supposed to take, you know, like 400 milligrams of magnesium and then like a lot of water. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's like one of those explosion exploding tricks that I haven't yet picked up on. But I swear it's been a game changer. I slept like nine hours last night, which is huge for me. So um magnesium is the eleventh most abundant element by mass in the human body interesting there interesting. you go i would bet that pete carroll is a a light sleeper i, I would bet pete carroll is not a sleep through the night kind of guy Pete carroll sleeps there's a zero percent chance Pete carroll sleeps more than like four hours a night that's kind but of it's like an amazing four hours it's a super high quality the one thing that pete does efficiently in his whole life is sleep i bet that's that's where he's got it nailed <laughs> people think that we've they've logged into real sleep talk so uh you know folks i'm sorry we we have things that we needed to catch up on and uh we're gonna we're gonna catch up on those things um last time we talked i didn't even remember what, what was going on um russell wilson as folks may or may not have heard is no longer a seahawk he's on uh the broncos of all teams and i keep seeing like and speaking of TikTok, I saw a Denver Nuggets TikTok video of him and Sierra at a Denver Nuggets game, throwing a football to a fan in the stands. And 
my dislike factor is going up like big time. <laughs> I gotta say, like I'm like every like smile he has that used to be like a million dollar smile as a Seahawk. I'm just like, oh man, I hope he loses bad this year. Is anyone else feeling that, or am I just like a bad person? These people have always been incredible. All these Seahawks, all of the Seahawks on the Super Bowl team were insufferably annoying. They were just our insufferably annoying uh, players. So nothing's changed. It's just our perspective. I see. Well, and, and we're literally motivated to cheer against Denver as Seahawks fans. The Seahawks have their first and second round picks. So we literally have stock in them losing next year. So there's very good reason. And I'm sort of with you, Brian. <laughs> okay. I was already like I, I was always kind of like cringing at some of the stuff Russell did and some of my friends and my buddies would always make fun of him and he was a guy I was always having to defend now that I can kind of be the one making fun of him it's kind of fun I'm salty because I'm hurting yeah fair you haven't gotten over it Evan you, you, yeah you... no I I relapsed I uh I I, tr- I had transitioned to the bargaining stage of the grief cycle uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago and then all of a sudden, no matter where I went, Russell Wilson highlights were on the TV from Seattle. Oh. And, and I'm, I'm back in the, I think it's the depression stage. Um, I'm definitely firmly, squarely back in the depression stage. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you seem fine. I think you're, I think you're fine. Um, well, we've got a franchise quarterback in Drew Locke, so my confidence <laughs> is, is... Well, yeah, so let's, I mean... People think people think we're stuck on the Russell Wilson thing. I mean, Russell Wilson, it it's going to be a topic all year, just because I mean, it's it's Russell Wilson will still probably be the biggest Seahawks topic for the next year. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Um, but as of today, I didn't see all the details. And by the way, thanks to Corey um, uh, for his super chat. We will talk. He has actually a draft question. We will come back to that. Um, there was a story today, and I don't know where from, so you guys hopefully know the source more, that Baker Mayfield, I think he was on a podcast, and he said the Seahawks were the most likely destination, but it also sounded like the price for Baker Mayfield was lower than expected, so I don't know if there are some rumors around what was now expected as the cost. So can you guys fill in the, the blanks a little bit? One of you want to volunteer to do that? Jeff, you're always in the... You're yeah, always- I didn't do it. Um, basically, Baker has no market right now, and Cleveland has painted themselves in a corner. They did everything they did to get Deshaun Watson. They gave him a fully guaranteed deal. And Baker Mayfield's supposed to make $18 million guaranteed. So even if they cut him, they're on the hook for $18 million. So basically, just dominoes, like all the... like the There's no teams left. The Colts were like the obvious suitor. They went and got Matt Ryan. So he's looking at all the teams like we are and sees Seattle is probably the only opening right now. And Seattle's not going to take him $18 million. So it's, it's almost a game of chicken where teams are waiting for Cleveland to eat the salary or he's hoping that someone will help. But it's basically just going in circles right now because nobody wants Baker at $18 million. And Seattle's obvious, but Cleveland's going to have to eat the salary. And there's rumors that either Seahawks or another team asked for a second round pick to take that whole salary similar to that Brock Osweiler thing. And they couldn't get that done. So it's kind of going in circles. He's probably hoping he ends up here because it's the best case of him playing. But until Cleveland's willing to eat more of that money, it's just going to go nowhere. Well, so what do we think, what do we think is a realistic, like what would it take to get Baker Mayfield? Do we think right now? In terms of acquisition cost or acquisition cost. Yeah. Are we really getting a second round pick to take Baker Mayfield's salary? Yeah, my understanding is that Seattle, there was a rumor that Seattle made an offer, you know, uh, to take on him as a player. Like, it's like what they, it's like, what was it the Texans that did it with Brock Osweiler? It was actually the Browns. Yeah. The Browns. Yeah. 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 Maybe I got it reversed. Um, Basically the way it works from a cap perspective is like Cleveland would, um, turn his 2022 base salary or at least a portion of it into signing bonus, which they would pay immediately and upfront and would count against Cleveland's cap hit. That's their salary cap that year. And then Seattle would take the remaining, uh, you know, uh, base salary. And the assumption is that, um, or I guess the working theory is that Seattle would actually acquire a pick potentially maybe a low pick, 
but a pick nonetheless to to take on that salary because just as Jeff said, if they cut him flat out, it's like a massive debt money hit for them. So there's incentive for them to move him. It's just nobody wants to give up anything substantial for him. So Cleveland might actually be the one trading away a draft pick. Okay, so would let's, be I would be shocked if I. Uh, so I've misjudged because I thought that there would be an actual market for Mayfield and they would get a pick of some value. So I could be off on this, but like, I, I can't imagine Cleveland is going to give a second or third round pick to clear up 18 million or however many millions in space for one year. I mean, he's just on his last year and there's nobody left out there in the free agent. I mean, like, not nobody, but like nobody. they don't need to clear all that money. They can just, they can just send him home and let them the deal expire like so i i don't think you're getting anything of value i think you probably end up trading a fourth or a fifth or something for him um maybe you get something back like a fifth or a sixth or a seventh round pick for him but uh, i think that's kind of the range let's do this then let's do this because the reason i'm pushing on the the cost because i wanted to then talk about okay so let's what, what how would you feel about getting him for that cost let's assume that there's like negligible cost you know either nothing Let's not talk about getting picked back. I mean, that that muddies the waters. But let's say it's basically no cost other than the salary to, to get Baker Mayfield. If you could snap your fingers and have Baker Mayfield on this roster without any extension, just with the contract he has, do you want him? Um, and, and Nathan, let's start with you. I think probably... My answer, I'm guessing that teams feel similar to me. And that, that is, it depends on who they draft. Um, You know, if they have somebody they really like at nine and they get that person at nine, or if they have somebody that they really like and they trade up in the, to the bottom of the bottom half of the first round and they, they get them, then probably not. Um, But if you get through the draft and you either don't like any quarterbacks there or nothing falls to you or just doesn't work out, then yeah, absolutely. I mean, Baker's super controversial, um, he certainly wasn't very good last year, but he's played well for stretches. And so absolutely, I think he's worth a shot. He's better than Locke. So. Jeff. Yeah. I think Nathan covered most of it. I think a lot of it will come down to the draft and that's, I think every team is sort of in a holding pattern with him, but for me, there's almost no trade I would do to take him at 18 million. I think, to, if, I think the Seahawks are going to get him. I think they're going to get him having Cleveland eat say like 12 to 13 million. If you get him for like four or $5 million, why not? It's it's. I don't really see him as a great fit. He's in the last year of his deal. To have him at 18 million kind of goes against with the direction of the team right now. But yeah, he's better than Locke. So if you can get him for like four or five million bucks, sure, I would do that. Evan, you you say you don't have anything to add here on the chat. I don't give a shit. We're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> like, I want to know because your your team your team you want you want to tank right? Like that's what you want this year. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm embracing a full on rebuild. This is this is not a player. Um, I, I, I think most would, would regard him as a quarterback in the 15 to 20 range. Um, you know, even if you have him as a one year stopgap, he's going to probably command a ton of money on the open market just because of how the quarterback landscape works and how the market dynamics in the NFL work. But I, I just I feel like we know who he is and he's an average mediocre quarterback in the NFL who can sometimes play a little bit better but his floor is also super low I think his his floor can be like a bottom of three quarterback in the NFL and I would yeah there were stretches like where he played yes injuries last year but there were stretches where he played really really poorly and I don't know if it's a confidence issue injury combination both whatever Um, I just I'd rather roll the dice and and hope for something more um, to me, he's a known quantity and he's not bad, but it just doesn't go with the spirit of a full on rebuild in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and I think we all agree that that's probably not what Peter John are thinking anyway. So, um, I mean, I think we're all in agreement that Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback than Drew Locke. Stop me if you feel differently, which means that the team would be more likely to win more games with Baker Mayfield, maybe not a lot more, but I think he's. I think he's probably a two or three win difference over Drew Locke, maybe four, depending. Um, And so if you are team, you know, team rebuild and team tank, I guess, team tank, 
then I think acquiring a Baker Mayfield is not high on your list because you're going to win more games with him. Um, I also don't think, and this is, I want to make sure Nathan might feel differently, but I just want to make sure. I don't think any of us think that he is a potential future franchise quarterback, like that you could be getting him buying low and getting a guy that could win you a Super Bowl. I think that there's an outside shot that that could be true. Like, I don't think that it's an absolute no. Like, we're not winning a Super Bowl with Drew Locke. Like, 100%, no way, not going to happen. So, but Baker Mayfield's like, yeah, if he had the right team around him, maybe. But, but problem- I, don't, I don't see him as, like, a potential franchise guy. Yeah, and the problem with him, sorry to cut you off, is yeah, say he ahead. is good and takes you, and you think maybe he is, then you got to pay him $30 million next year and your whole salary model, you're basically in the same spot you were before. So I think that kind of goes counterproductive to where the roster is and whether they're rebuilding or retooling or whatever you want to call it. They're now in a situation where they got seven premium picks in the next two years. I know everyone, Evan talks about their roster and how bad it is in certain spots. And for a team like this, it doesn't really matter what they do in free and trades. The draft is so important to where this team can go. There, when you're a rebuilding team, the acquisition phase that matters is the draft. So you got a quarterback that's going to take you from six to eight wins or something. To me, that's totally counterproductive. I'd much rather as, yeah. I just want to add on to something Jeff said there. It, and I think he, I think he articulated this well. What the problem with bringing in Baker for me is it reduces the opportunity for them to roll the dice elsewhere. Like the goal for this franchise should be to draft and find a cheap quarterback to build around for the next four to five years as quickly as possible. Baker is not that guy. It takes away opportunity from rolling the dice. And I think rolling the dice is really important if they're going to win another Super Bowl. Yeah. So I think we're all on the same page there, right? That the next franchise quarterback, we don't want to be someone who's on his second or third contract. Like, Ideally, we want someone who's a rookie and we'd rather take the, the risk that the rookie could crash and burn and have to get another rookie and start over. Like, so that's, that's where, I mean, I guess I would rather watch Baker Mayfield this year than Drew Locke. If those are our two options for sure. Um, even if it means winning more games and lowering the, you know, raising the draft pick, lowering the draft pick. I don't know how I had to think about that, but in any event, I just so don't want to watch Drew Locke play. I just, I really, really, really don't want to watch that. Um, Is that it for Gino? I would rather watch Gino. Really? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I know, I know you guys feel differently. I, I'd rather watch Gino. I think that there's more of a chance that there's unknowns with Gino than there are with Drew Locke. I, I just think Drew Locke's really, really bad. This is some real Jake slander. Yeah. I just, I just cannot believe you're discounting him. Unreal. So the only thing that I really care about with the first pick that the Seahawks have this year related to this conversation is I really, really, really do not want them to pick a quarterback. And I know we don't see eye to eye on this. At least some of us don't. And there was a report today, I think today, that maybe it was yesterday, that the Seahawks had one of their top 30 visits or whatever it's called with Desmond Ritter. Is that right? um quarterback uh what college it's Ole Miss no Cincinnati Cincinnati I knew it was yeah one of those kind of colleges um taller kid six oh, four, man, right? we are so lucky we don't have any SEC fans listening to one of those colleges uh, Ole Miss <laughs> or Cincinnati what's the difference <laughs> yeah um so what are you guys thoughts about Desmond Ritter uh nathan maybe we'll start with you on that one i will i know i know jeff's thought the thing so i will take a little bit of a different tack I, I mostly like him um he's uh he's kind of so you know mentally how he plays the game how he reads both his own offense and the defense all pretty advanced for a quarterback it's all good stuff there um he is athletic. He can make things happen and improvise, but he doesn't rely on that. He's not like 
a Lamar Jackson type, right? Um, he's uh, capable of running and and doing damage with his legs, but it's not something he looks to. It's an escape thing. Um, the thing with him is that it's kind of twofold. One, his arm is subpar in terms of strength. Um, and so, uh, you know, he, he just doesn't have a Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Matt Stafford type arm, and that's always going to limit him in some ways in, in how he can attack a defense. Um, the other thing is for someone that you think of as kind of this, you know, cerebral, you know, dice up defenses kind of guy, he's not super accurate. Um, and so that's a little concerning, but you know, he's someone that you can very easily see popping into the starting rotation and like winning games and helping this team win games. Um, so from that, that perspective, you know, um, it's good, but it's probably you're, you're thinking about a Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr type um, and not a swing for the fence. Right. Like, you know, uh, when we're talking about Baker, I'm thinking Baker's upside is like that in that Tannehill Cousins car type tier. Ritter probably comes in and performs very close to that right away and maybe doesn't have a ton of ceiling beyond that. So is that worth number nine? Probably. I mean, just for a quarterback position. Um, I, I think if they take him, I, I'm going to be pretty happy. Uh, but I, I can see where others will uh, not love it. So before we get to Jeff on this, I have to give Maverick Consulting Group props. Uh, she has in chat that the catchphrase would be let Mayfield bake. <laughs> That's solid. That's really solid. Uh, Jeff, uh, yeah, tell me, tell me, tell us your thoughts on Mr. Ritter. Yeah, I think Nathan covered a lot of it pretty well. I think Ritter is an interesting quarterback prospect. I think he has a lot of the things you want in a quarterback. He's done really well with Cincinnati. He's, he's been a winner. He's, he's shown a lot of an ability to read defense. Apparently, he's just crushed this pre, the post like draft or the pre draft stuff, like interviews and workouts. And, but the accuracy does worry me. Just for me, there's an opportunity cost. And I think the idea of him going in the top 10 to me is too much. To me, the draft is a marketplace and where you draft someone is really important. Obviously, Nathan made a good point in the chat. That at every pick, you have to be considering quarterback when you don't have one. It made me kind of readjust my thinking a little bit. He said that, but I still think to me, there are so many needs. I know Evans covered this a lot in his Twitter account. They have so many needs at premium positions, whether it's left tackle, and corner, an edge rush. And to me, there's a huge opportunity cost. I know of taking a guy, to me, that's not a top 10 prospect, even though we know how important quarterback is. To me, like, it, it brings back memories. I know Desmond Ritter might be a better prospect, but when, like, Christian Ponder and Blaine Gabber shot up in the draft, those guys were taken over Tyron Smith and J.J. Watt. I, there's no Tyron Smith and J.J. Watt in this draft, but to me, I want to see the Seahawks sort of establish the core players of their roster and if there's a quarterback there, like if they take Desmond Ritter or nine, I'm not going to be upset. If they believe in the quarterback that much, to me, that's an exciting prospect. That changes the entire excitement of next season. But to me, I want to see them establish a core with this pick. I think, I think left tackle, corner, or edge, any of those spots, that, that to me is the, my first priority before a quarterback who I don't think is a top 10 prospect. But again, I think he's fine. If they took him in the second round, I would be really, really pumped. Or even the end of the first, that would be get that fifth-year option. But to me, it's the draft is a marketplace. Taking him with the opportunity cost of not taking that left tackle, to me, that's a big risk. 100% agree. I mean, I just – yeah, go ahead, Evan. There's just four critical positions on every single football team that exists in the world, and they're all massive holes for Seattle. Quarterback, left tackle, edge rush, and cornerback. The problem with number nine – is there's not going to be a blue chip talent quarterback at number nine, most likely. There's you know, most likely good. going to be a blue chip talent at cornerback or left tackle or edge rush. I think this team has so many massive holes across the entire roster that the my biggest fear with number nine is, is twofold. Number one, they reach for somebody. Okay, so they stick and reach, they overthink it. But my bigger concern that will that is literally keeping me up at night is that Seattle overthinks it and they trade back. They miss out on a blue chip talent and they don't get the comp worthy enough to trade back. Do not trade back just for the sake of trading back. 
there has to be legit talent there. And my concern is that Seattle will pass on blue chip talent. So well, that I, yeah, you and I are similar, similar there. And if you look at, even though there is mathematical reasons to favor trading back and acquiring more picks um, drafts a random chance and the more chances you get the better and all that kind of thing. The reality is that like the Seahawks have not made the most of the extra picks they've gotten when they've traded back in general, like those have not worked out well for them and they've missed on really high quality players for the most part. In fact, some of their best players they've taken have been by trading up. <laughs> like DK is a good recent example of that. So um, I, I guess the way I see it is, and it's similar to what you're saying, Evan, I think that if they take a left tackle, if they take a cornerback or they take an edge rusher, I think the chances of that player being a good to very good player is I feel like it's 60, 70, 80%. The types of players that are in this draft, there's enough margin for error. They could pick one that's not exactly the one that you think, but there's enough good at those positions that they still should be able to hit somebody, right? Quarterback. I think the chances are like 20%, 30% at best that they're going to find somebody. And then even if they hit, they manage to hit, which would be great. You still haven't addressed those other positions. And now you've started the clock on your five-year window with a rookie first round pick quarterback. And if you haven't hit, you've locked in essentially for the most part to a first round pick quarterback there's no way you're going to trade after you. I, I know we talked about Josh Rosen. The Seahawks aren't the Josh Rosen type of team. Like they won't trade him after a year and they won't draft another quarterback. We'll be stuck with this guy for the next four or five years. So do not use your first pick, your top pick you've had in 10 years on, on a hope that you're going to get a quarterback that it just, the, the odds are just lower. So I I'm fine with them drafting a quarterback this year. I hope they do. But for me, anything in the first round would be super. It, it would probably be the worst move I could imagine them making. I'd be super probably as mad, if not more bad than the Creed Humphrey choice or lack of choice last year. Like that's how against it I am. So I think, I think you're uh, this quarterback class is getting too much crap. And I talked about this on Twitter. There is no Trevor Lawrence. There is no, Baker Mayfield there is no clear number one guy in this quarterback class that if you are you know the Lions in this case picking number two that you are taking them no matter what right that guy doesn't exist after that it's basically the same class that you get most any other year now next year might be a little bit of an exception there are a couple more exciting names but unless Seattle is picking top five which is possible but it's certainly possible they're not, right? I mean, that could go either way. Top five is not an easy thing. Top three is not an easy thing. Um, you know, I don't know that what they're picking from here at nine is going to be that different than what they're going to be picking from next year. So I think this class is a little, there's a little too much. It, it's gone too far in that this is a terrible quarterback class. This is a terrible quarterback class if you're the Lions. This is a terrible year for the Lions to get the number two pick. It's not so bad to pick a quarterback at nine. The other thing is, so I've been doing mock drafts and, um, you know, it's not uncommon for all of the true blue chip players to be gone by nine, be partly because there is no real high level quarterback talent to push some of these guys down. Right. Like one of the ones I did, the, the top eight picks were Aiden Hutchinson, Derek Stingley, Ahmad Gardner, Kyle Hamilton, Akem Akwanu, uh, Thibodeau, Evan Neal, George Karlaftis. That's those are like the guys and like Carl Aftis is even like not really in that that top tier of guys. So like, you know, then you're thinking about like, do you want to swing for a Trayvon Walker who is an athletic freak? But oh, maybe, he's not going to be there. Maybe he will. I mean, he's not he's not a very good football player. I know uh, he's, he's going to be gone in the top three. I guarantee that. Okay, we'll see. But then so then you're talking about like probably Carl Aftis instead of walker being there right and i don't know that walker is going to go that high we'll, we'll see but like I, my point is here you're talking about you have to get the blue chip player i don't know if there are nine blue chip players in this class well, i didn't say blue gotta... chip i just said that i think your chances of hitting on a player that can be a long time starter for you that you feel really good about are higher with those other positions than that quarterback 
And I don't really agree with that so much. I think when you're talking about Ritter or Willis, you know, those guys have high upside and they have a chance of being, you know, long-term starters. Are, are any of them a Patrick Mahomes type? Probably not. Maybe Willis is a Lamar Jackson-esque player. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I think people are overvaluing the, the level of talent that will probably be there at nine. Now, crazy things happen all the time and, and you know, it, it's not necessarily going to go chalk, right? But uh, yeah, if you get to nine and a lot of those names that I just read were gone, then I don't think the quarterbacks are that much worse off talent wise than what you're going to be picking from, from a left tackle and Charles Cross or a edge and Carl Laftis or something like that. So yeah. Jeff, uh, I have to ask you, Corey Coleman uh, in super chat said, would you rather take Jermaine Johnson or Derek Stingley at nine if uh, they're available? And for folks that don't know, um, Jermaine Johnson is, an edge rusher, right? And Stingley is a corner. Well, I'm biased. I think Stingley is my favorite player in the draft. So I would take Stingley for sure. Stingley's 21 years old. He's got the, maybe the highest upside of any player in this draft. And they have to kind of allude to it. There's not, I don't even know if there is a blue chip player in this whole draft. So Stingley is really the only one. He's had kind of two weird years in a row, but two years you had him going with, him going up against Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson in practice. And he would have been like a top three pick. He went into the NFL draft that year. Jermaine Johnson's a little older. He's 23 as a senior bull guy. He's got all the Seahawks written all over him. But to me, that 21 year old corner that could kind of change the group and they don't have that blue chip player to me, Stingley would be the guy. Evan, if you could pick one position for number nine, not necessarily a player, which is the position you're hoping that the Seahawks address with that pick? It's left tackle, without question. Which pick? Which position do you think is the most likely that they use the ninth pick for? I think cornerback is highly unlikely. Um, I could see it being an edge rusher. Pete loves players that hit the quarterback. <laughs> and edge rushers do that. Nathan, how about you? I mean – Given if, if all things are equal, who do you what position do you hope that they pick at nine, assuming that they stay at nine, which is a huge assumption? Yeah, I mean, I, it's still quarterback for me. Um, if they feel strongly enough about a quarterback to take them at nine, um, I mean, I don't know what to trust their quarterback evaluation, but hey, that's cool. Let's go. Okay, Jeff. In an ideal world, it's left tackle. I think they need to rebuild this offensive line. I think. If my goal, big picture of this draft, is to come out with two key pieces on this offensive line moving forward. But the Seahawks are in a bit of a tricky spot. Nathan sort of alluded to it earlier, where you might have four edge rushers go before them, and there's three like clear top-tier tackles. So if those seven players come off the board in a quarter, maybe one quarterback, the Seahawks are going to have to pivot somewhere. You know, they're going to do what they usually do and take their LJ Collier thing and take the fourth offensive tackle, which will clearly be a reach of nine. That's not a blue chip player. Or do they pivot and do they go corner? I know we've talked about their tendencies a lot, but they've never really been in the top 10 since the first year. And I think we might have to throw some of their tendencies out the window because John keeps talking about how there's a huge difference between like the top 15 players in the draft and where they end up. And so I do wonder, the Seahawks have had a tendency where when they bring in new coaches, they let that new coach make like the first pick, like Tom Cable got it, Sean Neimer got it. So I wonder if this and he gets sort of a pick. And that's where I wonder if they pivot to corner, if like all the edge rushers and tackles go and Sauce Gardner's in there. I, I turn the card in for Sauce Gardner there, that he's in there or not. Without question, I want Gardner's sauce. Uh, Without question. Here's here's what I think folks are underestimating on projecting that pick, and I think I've seen a lot of people say, even in this pod, people have said corners the least likely, and that's partially because the Seahawks draft history, like the earliest they've ever taken a cornerback, has been uh, Shaquille Griffin in the third round, right? And a lot of their cornerbacks have been later, and they've developed them, and and that that's fine. Uh, this is an entirely new defensive staff. Um, Clint Hurt, uh, Sean Desai, uh, that whole group is new. Zach Scott. It wouldn't shock me if they place a higher value and 
and if Pete will feel some kind of obligation, maybe that's too strong of a word, but at least he made a lot of commitments. And it's, we heard from those, those coaches that there were a lot of commitments made, that there was going to be differences in the amount of control that the defensive staff was going to have over, you know, how things were going to be run. So if they're pounding the table for a corner at nine, and there's definitely a few corners that are worth that pick that could be there. I don't think that's totally unlikely. Um, if we're going historically, the most likely I think is that they take a tackle, that they take uh, alignment. I think it's neck and neck with edge rusher. Um, and it might just depend on who falls. But if I were to, if I were to bet, what's the best player that they could get with that pick that in five years, 10 years, we'll look back and like, that's the position they should have taken. I think corner is probably their best chance to get an elite blue chip player. I think the tackles most likely the best couple might be gone. I think edge it's, it's close, but I think the corners that might be there might be true shutdown corners um, that are tough to come by. So you know, I'd be super excited if it was any of those three positions, corner, edge, or, or tackle. Um, and the good news is that there's a decent amount of those in this draft, at least at the top. So that would be cool. Um, Evan, I don't, do you have like a favorite player, like a player that you're, you're hoping, you know, I don't know if you've started checking out mock drafts or if there's anything like that sticks out and it's okay if not, but Gardner is a really fun really fun corner he's fast he's aggressive he talks shit phenomenal in coverage a lot of people are comping him to to Richard Sherman um it's been a while since we've had a had a had a true elite uh cornerback there and uh especially an aggressive one that can be a foundation of a of a defensive resurgence under Pete Carroll so he'd be a fun player Nathan, other than quarterback, do you have a favorite player you'd like to see that realistically could be there? Um, uh, Thibodeau is probably not realistic. Um, I like Equanu quite a bit. Uh, I don't know that he's realistic either. Of guys that will like almost certainly be there, um, Jordan Davis could be really, really fun. Um, uh, what do you so, yeah. like about Jordan Davis? He's a massive, athletic, mean, talented, productive football player uh, who can change how you design your defense uh, because he can be such a force um, against the running game. But you can build around him in ways that I think are unique and allow you to do different things behind him. Um, I think he's going to be pretty appealing to Seattle. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Davis is like the... <clears throat> Davis is maybe the freakiest of all the freaks in this class. There's a few like Stingley and then, yeah, there's a few, but Davis is kind of a different, a different dude. Now uh, you mentioned Stingley already, Jeff, is there anyone else that's uh, high on your list? I think most of them were covered Stingley and sauce Gardner. I think based on how I think the draft is going to fall, I think one of those guys very possibly could be there. And I think that's where the most value will be. I think you're going to be looking at either the third tackle you're hoping for maybe the third tackle and you might be looking at the fifth edge rusher because I think all the edge yeah. rushers is going to fly off so uh, Jordan Davis is a guy like he'd be interesting I, I know it would have mixed reaction because run defense is probably his biggest strength but he's just a freak athlete he's a unicorn but to me Stingley's the guy where I think the, the value and the potential just match really really well there's guys I'm terrified that the Seahawks are going to really really like and I really hope they don't take them. I know it's funny enough, Danny Kelly was on uh, Michael Sean's podcast, mentioned the two guys I was terrified the Seahawks are going to love. So I'm hoping they don't share, take Share their names. Who are your, so who? there's the classic Seahawks move was they painted themselves in a corner left tackle. There's a guy named Trevor Penning from one of the smaller schools. I think it's Northern Iowa. And he's a really physical player. Like he projects as a pretty good complimentary tackle, but to take him to the top 10, would be really, really underwhelming. And he's just a guy the Seahawks shouldn't be taking in the top 10. He's someone he'd be fine in a trade down, but the take, like he's so, he's like, if Tom Cable is still here, they'd absolutely take this guy. So he's like the pure Tom Cable technical, 
issue where he's just like a really violent player, but he's not technically sound. And the Seahawks taking the fourth best tackle and a reach because they didn't fill the position properly would be just so disappointing. The other one is actually a pretty good player. Devin Lloyd from Utah is like a really good linebacker who can rush the passer. But again, just you can't take another off-ball linebacker in the first round, especially in the top 10, like when they have premium positional needs. And he's just like a really clean prospect, and I could see the Seahawks liking him. But just positional value would be so, so bad that I'd be really upset if they did that because Evan mentioned before, basically the four most important positions on this team, the four premium spots are not filled right now. And that's why I'm kind of excited for where the Seahawks are right now. They can really reshape their team in these next two drafts. And we can have all these fun young prospects to watch these next couple of years. And I enjoy that phase personally, where there's no stress if we're winning or losing. But to me, just don't take the fourth best tackle because you painted yourself in the corner. Take the best player and don't get cute, which the Seahawks are so bad at doing. Yeah, I have to admit, like, I feel like things are are unmoored with the Seahawks right now. I don't know. There's, I'll tell you, like, almost anything I'm hearing is just giving me the uneasy feeling. Like, for example, Pete Carroll, I heard multiple times talk about Shelby Harris, like we should be excited about Shelby Harris. And I'm sure Shelby Harris is a fine player. He's like a rotational defensive lineman, but don't get me excited about Shelby Harris or try to like, don't put Shelby Harris on some massive billboard next to the, you know, Lumen field or something. Like I'm not an idiot. I mean, maybe I am, but like the, the like reality distortion field feels very distorted right now. And so it makes me feel really uncomfortable going into this draft that they're going to do some stupid shit. And I'm okay with where they are right now, as long as they do smart things in the draft, if they do another freaking like, ds scridge over creed humphrey thing i'm gonna lose my ever loving mind you won't see me for five years on this podcast i will just be done like so yeah rant over but like shelby harris i apologize i'm sure he's watching and and a huge fan of the pod but i'm not your guy you're not so my guy you, you do not enjoy pete carroll hyping up drew lock you're gonna, you're gonna. Drew Locke is going to start all 17 games, and you're going to enjoy it. Worse than talking up Drew Locke is him like publicly courting Gino to come back. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and Gino's not coming back. Yeah, how embarrassing is that? that That's the, coach the part. Is like, come on, Gino, and like he won't sign. Gino Smith is like giving you the Heisman. Like, what the hell? The guy, not even is he not a good quarterback, but he had a DUI or whatever, and he still is not, he doesn't want to come back and play for you. What the hell? That's embarrassing. (laughs) That's humiliating. Yeah. Things are bad. Things are not great. This is a very important next couple weeks to, like, restore. Like, their approval level, Brian, you haven't put up those polls in a while, right? Like. There are I don't approve of putting out a poll right now, even. Like, I, I can't do it. Like, like, they have to be, like, all-time low numbers. And, like, if they blow this fucking draft. I want you to put the, the approval poll out right after they trade down from nine. Oh. See, you'd be happy, though, Nathan. I would. I'd love you're, it. You're oh, a believer yeah. in trading down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this draft, too, like, I'm talking about, like, I think there's a good chance because there aren't – a glut of quarterbacks that are getting pushed up at the top here. I think it's a, it's a bad year for Detroit to have two because there's no top quarterback and there's no really top elite tier miles Garrett type player for them. It's a bad year to have nine too, because the ones that are the best players aren't going to get pushed down because teams taking quarterbacks. So yeah. trade back. I, I did a mock trading them all the way back down to the bottom of the first and had like five picks between 29 and 45. It was fun. It was awesome. There are lots of fun back down there. right now. I hate <clears throat> everything you stand for. Do, I'm just saying, I think that there is a 
there's like no i mean thibodeau maybe but there's no like real elite players in this class there's like six or seven uh blue chippers and then there is like you have talent going all the way down into like the top of the second round so uh i mean maybe i'm wrong on like the trayvon walkers and the jermaine johnsons those guys aren't really my type and they are they like when they if they hit i won't be surprised but evan will you be happy or super upset or nervous if they trade down i will be it totally depends on the comp like if they do it in recent years, on the back half of the first round, they have traded back just to trade back. For example, the LJ Collier trade back, horrible. They didn't get enough comp on the on the return end. If they trade back just to trade back, it's a fucking disaster. But if they, you know, if they if they get some win now hungry team like, let's say the Saints trade their two first, sixteen and eighteen. Is that what they have? Yeah, I would I would do that in a heartbeat. Ugh. I would. You're not getting diff- you're not getting like again, barring Thibodeau or Stingley or one of the top two tackles getting to nine. What you're picking at nine and what you're picking at 16 and 18, it ain't different. So I will say this: there is a situation where I think trading down would make sense. Say you can get Pittsburgh's first next year from going from nine to 20, because Pittsburgh's a quarterback team. And we know how strong the quarterback draft is. If you can go into next year's draft with three first round picks. How do you feel about that, Brian? Um, that that's actually more interesting to me. I, I'm much more interested in next year's uh, draft class and compiling picks there. And I also like, you know, get me a Jets first round pick next year, or you know, yeah, some, something along those lines would be. Super- I think that's the only situation where a big move down would be good. But Nathan is right. The sweet spot of this draft is really like. 18 to like 70 like there's talent talent throughout the Seahawks have premium picks like 40 41 the high three and I was talking to someone the other day and they they made a good point that like say you had nine last year you're looking at Micah Parsons or Rashawn Slater sitting on you Devonta Smith like those guys might go number two or the Detroit pick so those guys went like 12 13 so there's a huge drop off in like quality of upper echelon players in this draft but to me, you got to come out with just like high quality prospects. So for me, I want to see them stick and pick. Like they never do that. They haven't had their top 10 pick in so long. And the last time they actually did have a top 10 pick was like their most normal draft ever. I don't know if that's gone away from them because that's been 12 years, but I just want to see them do something normal and not leave us all. But I mean, the last time yourself. they were, they were kind of in a position like this was maybe 2000. 12 when they traded back in the first they were in similar spot and they traded back and they take took bruce Irvin. yeah right like i think i i think that there's almost like this like the two hemispheres of your brains are not connected to where you're like well it makes sense to trade back because you get more picks and there's not the elite guy but then you forget that the players that the seahawks pick when they trade back are guys that other people would pick 40 picks later but are they just going to take those guys at nine instead of 16 and 18? I don't think they will actually. Like if you look at the guys that they've taken in the top half of the draft, there's not a single uh, one where two, you're the like two of, the two of them. Yeah. <laughs> they were chalk guys. I mean, Okung and Earl were like chalk picks. Irvin was 15 though. I mean, he yeah. counts his top, top half. It was also 12 years ago. Yeah. P was much younger back then. But, you know, when we talk about trading back for Irvin, you know, one of the guys that they passed on right there was Fletcher Cox, right? So it's not just about them, like, you know, the misevaluation here is happening in two ways. They are not identifying the top tier guys in some of these either, right? And they do it back the the back half of the first round, too, when they're trading back and passing up on, like, the Ryan Ramchicks and stuff, right? So part of it is just that they don't seem to – I don't know. I don't know that they're taking – anybody else at nine if they stay there right and they probably still take Bruce Irvin over Fletcher Cox and not only that the next two pass rushers were Melvin Ingram and Chandler Jones guys who are borderline hall of fame players and Bruce Irvin was fine but like it's not near those guys so I think Seattle just for years have had trouble I said before the draft's a marketplace they've had trouble properly valuing players and like even just see Will Disley and Frenchy like a totally 
missed his value. So I, I think it's going to be interesting though. I talked about the defensive staff. The other difference is that the offensive line coach is also different. So yeah. like the coaches that do influence personnel decisions are different. And maybe that we put a lot of focus on John and Pete as we should, but it might also be the first draft with those coaches. We might learn about them and maybe they have different types of players. Maybe they'll, maybe they think more normally than other people do and will come away at least in the first round. What's just a pick where you don't want to like ram your head through a window. Like just pick a player that you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe it won't work out, but yeah, I get where your logic was there. Um, that would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, Nathan, do you have patron questions? I have a couple. Let's take um, some By the way, let me, let me, while before you do that, if you haven't already, please give the show a like, please subscribe to the channel and please click the bell to get notified when we go live. Um, but most importantly, go over to patreon.com slash join up, get immediate access to the Slack channel. You can ask questions as well, and we will take those here. So with that, let me hand it over to Nathan. Hit us. Uh, all right. So Kanish Shukla wants to know how much. So he says, how much would you be okay paying Metcalf until trading him both right? Uh, I'm going to re- rephrase this a little bit. At what, like, uh, millions of dollars per year do you decide to trade DK Metcalf? Like, I assume if DK is going to resign for $20 million a year, we're probably all okay doing that. Brian, looking at you. For $20 million? Is that what you said? Or, yeah, 20 Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm okay with him signing DK for almost any price. If you can get, like, all, all I've said is if you can get, you know, a high first and a second or maybe even two firsts for him, then I'm listening. Like, that, that's what I've said. So at what point do you pull the trigger on uh, a high first and a second round pick? Uh, is it, because if he resigned for $10 million a year, I assume you would rather just have DK, right? Like there's a point where he is so cheap that like almost no amount of picks is going to to sell you on trading him. So at what point do you say I would rather have you know a uh, number ten overall and number forty five overall instead of paying DK Metcalf twenty five million? This is the thing that I think it's a misperception. It, I don't care what DK gets paid. That has nothing to do with my evaluation of whether to keep him or not. It is about roster construction and cost of acquiring. I, I don't value wide receiver as highly as other folks do. So I value left tackle. I value um, cornerback, edge rush. I value all those positions much more highly than I value receiver. And I think that you can win Super Bowls with, you know, very good receivers without having like elite Hall of Fame level receivers. And so uh, if I could get, for example, the Jets to trade their 10th pick this year, our pick, and, you know, a high pick next year, regardless of what DK is paid, I would take that deal because I would, it would give us a chance to shift, shift resources to other positions. Um, and then I'd be okay with addressing receiver another way, another time. So even if DK said, give me my rookie contract again, I'll sign it and play on that for the next four years, you would still take those Jets picks. Like, um, I'm thinking, like at some point money has to matter, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that like, that's so far beyond the pale, right. that, like, you know, why are we even talking about it? I mean, he, there's no way, I don't think there's any way he's going to be under like 24 million. Like, I think that's like the bottom. I think you could probably get DK for at this point. I think what I'm hearing though, is even if DK would sign that rookie contract again, you would still trade him for the Jets picks. I, I'd think about it. I definitely think about it more, but no. I, I'm all about extending the window of competing again. And I don't think signing $30 million players right now to this roster is the way to do that, especially if the receiver, if he was, if DK was a left tackle or a corner and it was going to be foundational to that, I would be like, yeah, sign him. Do not trade him. Absolutely. I just don't think wide receivers are foundational players the way those other positions are. And so I'm like, push my chips all in and let's get a whole new set of, of cards and uh, let's start trying to f- apply whatever chips we've got to those other positions. So that, that's why for me, it's just not a, it's not a price thing. 
Gotcha. Uh, Jay Brandt wants to know, uh, says that the sleep talk was a little embarrassing. Have any of us taken an anatomy and physiology class in our whole life? I have college classes, organic chem. I think I did okay. I did fine. It's been a few years. Has anyone else taken anatomy or physiology here? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Nothing. Nobody. Lifetime okay. student. There you go. Um, uh, all right. And then um, uh, Jeff, who do you think will be the next big name Seahawk to leave the team? <laughs> So, there's like two left so, and one of them is yeah, kind of question who do they even have i uh, think your your options here are dk jamal adams and jordan brooks and jason myers and <laughs> uh dicks mm-hmm. uh, Puna? yeah i guess i guess dk i just think that i can see john like really wanting to make that trade and pete being the one stopping him but yeah, I don't think I think trading Jamal I, is just going to be a challenging proposition given his productivity and his contract and what he can get in return. He's just a deteriorated asset right now. And Jordan Brooks, like whatever, I don't even know if he has a big name at this point. He's a he's fine. But yeah, I think out of those guys, I don't even know if they have a big name player at this point until they start drafting players. Uh, Danny McCormick once uh, asked, what does a Daryl Taylor contract look like next offseason? I want to kind of pivot this one a little bit. Let's say Taylor was just a free agent this year. Would anybody be willing to drop like an $18 million a year contract on him or something up in that range? Uh, It's hard to project out a year. I mean, he could have an amazing year and and we would be, yeah, $18 million, let's do it. But like, just based on what we know so far, is he a 10 million, 15 million, 18, 20 million guy? Evan, what do you think? I think based on what we know, which is very limited, I'd peg him at like eight to nine million dollars a year. That's a Earl Taylor. Think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anybody feel strongly differently about that? No, not really. I think yeah, I think he could be more than that, depending on how he plays this next year. But oh, it could skyrocket. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then there have been several people asking me to talk about Carson Strong. So I'm going to take a minute to, to talk about Carson Strong, who is a quarterback that should be available at the top of the second, is an excellent option for them if they do decide to not trade up and get someone like Ritter or take somebody at nine. He is uh, immobile as all hell, uh, but he is a very smart quarterback. He has a huge arm. Uh, he played. You can look at him playing for Nevada and see how the throws he's making translate to the NFL. Um, he's... Uh, kind of a Matt Stafford-esque quarterback uh, who could fall because of some medical reasons that I'm not super concerned about, but I also haven't seen the medical records. So uh, Carson Strong, <laughs> uh, amazing uh, option for Seattle, and I hope they draft him. That's it. Any, okay, that's it. That's it. Uh, all right. Well, what else? Did we miss anything? I, I am curious. The, the DK stuff keeps coming up. I, I do want to take uh, one last temperature on that. I mean, Evan, where are you on that? You still like sign him at any cost? Um... Uh, it depends on the offer. If somebody offers like a high first round pick, like a top 10 pick, I'd have to consider it in combination with like a second. Um, but I, I'm willing to pay him up to like $30 million a year. I've, I've been a long time proponent of they don't have an expensive quarterback anymore. They're lacking talent all across the roster. There's no, there, I have no hesitation with burning money. Burn yeah. the money. Yep. Yep. And Nathan, if I remember right, you're, you're a keep DK at all costs, or is there a point where you're like, no, we should start looking at ship, shipping around? Yeah. I mean, if somebody's offering you like three first round picks and one of them's, you know, high, then yeah. I mean, you have to think about it. But I'm mostly in the camp of he is what you want to draft. Uh, and even with a high first round pick and a high second round pick, you're lucky to find a player like DK. So uh, I would I would pay him quite a bit of money. Um, uh, I think we need to talk about uh, Aquil Glass. Uh, somebody reminded us in the chat. I know Dana wanted us to give him a shout out. Uh, seventh round option at, at best, maybe an undrafted free agent guy. Mildly interesting, has some physical talent. Uh and that's the kill class. Awesome. 
All right. Well, with that, uh, it's been fun to see you guys. I'm glad to see your smiling faces and hopefully we'll have more interesting things to talk about. We will, we haven't talked about it, but I, I do feel like we're going to have to do a live show during the draft again, for sure. The first round. Um, those are always, I was like, I, I watched that our show from last year, a number of times during the season, just to make myself feel better. Um, and that actually did, uh, but we'll do that coming up here in a few weeks. And I'm actually having lunch the day of the draft with somebody who I cannot say on air, but it's going to be very interesting to hear, see if I get any tips about what's going to be happening um, later that day. Uh, with that, let's say goodnight. God bless for those that, that uh, want to be blessed. And uh, <laughs> please subscribe. Please click like. Please uh, click the bell to get notified and go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger, get signed in, get joined at, to, the, to the Slack channel. And there is still time to join as a Ring of Honor member. I have been totally dragging my feet on getting the Ring of Honor meal set up, which is definitely not going to happen by the draft, unfortunately. Uh, I think we're going to probably do the June time frame where it's a little nicer, but uh join now and you can still get invited to that dinner, which would be great. So everybody, I hope you're doing well. Take care of yourself uh, and go Hawks. I'm still saying that. I got to find something better. All right. Bye now. <laughs>